Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 30 of UAB Green and Told. Original air date, Monday, October 12th, 2020. Green and Told gives us the chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. I'm Greg Berry, Assistant Director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Today, we have the chance to sit down with UAB head football coach, Bill Clark, going beyond the X's and O's to get to know him on a different level. The son of a coach, Clark will explain how he knew early on that he'd be following in his father's footsteps. There was never a doubt. That's what I knew. I, I mean, I really knew I wanted to coach since I was uh, five or six years old. Plus, he will share how he wound up leaving what was, at the time, a dream job at his alma mater to come coach at UAB. So I'm literally sitting in a, a high school when the news breaks that Coach McGee's leaving and, and it says Coach Bill Clark is the next head coach at UAB. I've not even spoke to anybody. And Clark will discuss the emotions he and his team felt when they found out the football program had been eliminated. I mean, it's devastating. I mean, there's really no other word for it. I mean, I still had a lot of coaching left to do. Uh, I knew I was going to have to go find a job. I'm trying to find coaches' jobs, players' scholarships. Bill Clark has found success coaching kids on the football field. For three decades, he has been developing student-athletes, calling plays, and winning championships. The son of a coach and a home ec teacher, Clark grew up in small-town Alabama, where a big day was a trip to Anniston, Alabama, to go to McDonald's and the library. For him, living in the country meant three things, school, church, and ball. And Clark kept busy with the latter. I played all of it, you know, and, uh, you know, just through different times, you know, I played different things. But, you know, I always, I guess football was the, was the one central thing. But, you know, my dad coached everything. You know, he was really a good basketball coach. I love basketball. Um, so football and basketball and, and, of course, was playing baseball was the one at that time you could play from, you know, when you were about five years old. So those were kind of the three and, and really didn't dabble on any of the you know, track, anything else. But, yeah, I played all of them growing up. What was it like playing for your dad in high school? Yeah, I think the thing that I've always told people about being a coach's son is, you know, you got to be a little bit better. You know, it's not, you know, it's not a thing of, of the coach's son really gets the, uh, the extra attention. He's probably the one that the coach expects more of. And, and then you take it home with you, you know, that the expectations and all those things. And I, and I think for me growing up, the thing that I loved most in the world was to get to go hang out with him at the office, you know, to, to get to be at practices, to uh, just to be around it. And, you know, I loved everything about it. I loved being with the players. I loved, you know, being, you know what he did with his coaches. And so I think playing for him was just, you know, accentuation of that. You know, you just – you wanted to do it all. You, you know what the losses meant at home. You you understood probably more than anybody else what how much work he put into it. So uh, it was a big deal. How good of a football player were you in high school? You know, I was, I think I was a decent player. You know, I ended up, you know, making All-State my senior year. But, you know, I think, you know, and I think that's why I have a heart for, for these guys that, that, that work hard, that, you know, that try and do the extra things. I mean, that was who I was, you know. I mean, I think I was a decent athlete, but was, was definitely not some superstar, you know. So, you know, the hard work, the training, the, the little things, that was that was the things that were important to me. And I think usually, you know, maybe sometimes those guys make the better coaches because they know, you know, they know they have to do extra. They have to do all, all the above. When you went to Jacksonville State after you graduated from high school, was the plan to coach all along or did you want to go the teaching route? 
No, the plan was to coach the whole time. And, you know, so that was when my career, you know, as a player, which I knew was, was you know, I mean, it wasn't like I was thinking about playing in the pros or anything like that. And so, you know, the other kind of piece of my puzzle, I had hurt my back lifting, um, you know, as a freshman. And it was an injury that I'd kept really all through high school and then going into college. And it was just kind of one of those things where I knew that uh, I wanted to coach. And so immediately it was, do I become a student coach at, at Jasper State or do I start coaching for my dad? And uh, But there was never a doubt. That's what I knew. I, I mean, I really knew I wanted to coach since I was uh, five or six years old. So it had just been in, you know, in all that time I'd gotten to spend with him. So really it was just a natural process just to get to start coaching early. So obviously your dad was one of your coaching mentors early on. Who else was a mentor through high school, through Jacksonville State, and then the first couple stops that you had as a high school coach? Yeah, you know, so when my dad got out of coaching, he he got the guy to come in to, to replace him named George Hobbazell, who was a really, really good coach. And I think anytime as a coach, you get to handpick your successor. Um, so dad got out of coaching for a few years. Coach Hobbazell came in to Piedmont, really did a great job. And, uh, and then my dad got back into coaching when I was in college, which is where when I went and joined him at Asheville. I went back. My dad got out of coaching again, and I went back and started out with George. So kind of funny stories. People ask me, well, how did you, you know, do the high school deal? And uh, it was really just a chance to really be more than a student coach. You know, so at Jack State, I would have been a student coach at, at Asheville. I'm the O-line coach. And at 22 years old, it was going to be a GA um, and I, I had a couple offers, Troy, Sanford, some ones that everybody would know, or go be a defensive coordinator at Piedmont back for Coach Hobbazell. So the first head coaching experience you had was at Prattville. You started there in 1999. You went 106 and 11, winning two state championships. What was special about that program and being able to develop those kids? You know, I'm, I'm coaching. I left Piedmont and went to Tuscaloosa County. Uh, in the 92 season. And once again, that was the same deal. It was responsibility. You know, we, buddy of mine was the head coach there. And he said, look, you, you take the defense. I'll take the offense. You've got 50 some guys. It's like a college. And we had a, over a hundred players. And, you know, I had my full defensive staff. So that same thing, when we went to Prattville and went and scouted them in, in 92, I saw we were playing Selma, and Jennifer and I went on. We played on a Thursday night to open the season, and I went to Prattville to scout them. And it was kind of the growing up I'd had at Ohatchee and Piedmont where the whole town turned out. You know, it was what I called a, a small-town, big-school atmosphere. Um, and I was like, you know, this is a place I could see myself at. So I had just kind of kept up with Prattville all those years. We played them uh, when I was a defense coordinator at Dothan. And uh, didn't have a great crowd there that day, but it was just still, you know, I thought that town, that community, I knew it was growing. I thought it could be something special. So when, you know, I had time to, you know, stay as a defensive coordinator and co continue to learn my craft, I turned down, a, you know, numerous head coaching jobs all the way till Prattville came along. And so I'd kind of saved for that. And, uh, you know, the thing that I loved about Prattville was it was um, – you know, kind of a truly middle-class town with hard-working folks, and uh, but just a hunger to for success. I thought, you know, and then we had so many things that we had to get accomplished there. But I was athletic director, and so it was just really a neat place to be, where I could really do all these this all these ideas I had about getting a contract with Nike and um, and building an indoor and all these things I wanted to get done. That was a place that could. You know, that we could get it done, but just really great people. 
So you spent almost a decade in Prattville before you moved on to University of South Alabama. Mm -hmm. What was the decision-making process of going and becoming the first defensive coordinator at USA? Yeah, it was um, it was tough. I mean, there was some there was some job offers. You know, I had a chance to go to uh, Alabama um, a couple times in there. Um, you know, that was really they didn't have analysts. They didn't, you know, so one of them was going to be an on the field spot. But I knew it was kind of at the end of, of a tenure there. And then it was an analyst, you know, kind of a new analyst spot. And just not really what I wanted. And I had unfinished business at Prattville. And then all of a sudden the South Alabama job came open. Thought this one guy was going to get it. He had already asked me if I wanted to come in assistant head coach, defense coordinator. And, and then Joey was trying to get it the whole time, kind of helped him get the job. So the big thing for me was responsibility. You know, I just, I love the idea of being part of building the whole thing and from what, you know, the, the fields, the building, the, you know, similar things we had done at Prattville. And, uh, you know, it was one of those deals where I, as we were leaving Prattville, uh, we had 130 varsity players, you know, we were loaded. I mean, and, and just knew, you know, we'd probably have a chance to win three to four more state championships at least. And um, not saying that arrogantly, we were just, you know, we had just won two in a row. And I really felt like I'd accomplished all I could accomplish in high school. And it was time to take the next step. Was it a difficult transition going from high school to college? Really, it wasn't. You know, I think, um, I hate to say it, but we were more college at Prattville than we were at South Alabama probably even when I left. I mean, and what I mean by that is, you know, by that time I had, you know, 20-something coaches on my varsity. I had a JV group with 80. I had a freshman group with 80 or 90. Uh, I had a junior high, eighth grade had 80 or 90. So, and I mean, I ran all those along with being the athletic director with 17 sports. Um, I mean, we had video. We had, I mean, you know, we were video in practice. We were feeding our players. We were, you know, it was college. And so, we go to South Alabama, and I'm trying to get them to do the things that we did at Prattville. You know, now we did not have the resources. You know, we were a county school at Prattville, so I was constantly fundraising and, you know, finding grants and finding ways to do things. And so I think that experience, though, helped me so much, you know, here, which we'll talk about later, but just finding a way to do things. But South was a – it was tough. I mean, it was tough to get that program going you know, to, to get athletes to come in there and believe in us and, you know, scheduling. I did the scheduling. So, you know, there was a lot of things that were really tough there that, you know, I, I kind of had problem with exactly the way I wanted and then to have to kind of start from scratch was, was tough. And you started from scratch at South and you built it into a solid defense. Were you surprised how quickly you were able to get that defense to be one of the best in the conference, if not around? It, it was so much about mentality, and I think for me, having to have been at all of these different high schools where you have to do more with less, and you know, and you know, when you're a high school coach, you, I mean, it's who is in your community, and especially then, there was not all the transition that you see now where kids move from school to school. We didn't have as much of that, so I think that experience helped me so much with going, okay, we may not get uh, the best athlete, but we're going to get the kids that believe in what we do, and we're going to coach them hard and, and do all the details, and so, yeah, I, I was probably surprised that it probably came off as good as it did a little bit. But at the same time, it had it was kind of what we had we had done at other places. Coaches tend to move around a bit, and we've already gone through a bunch of the moves. But in 2012, 2013, you decided to leave South and move back to your alma mater, closer to home, where you grew up at Jacksonville State. Was that just because the timing was right, the program was right, and that's where <coughs> you wanted it to be? 
Yeah, I think it was everything. You know, that was a job that I had had really wanted to be back home. You know, my wife had, you know, all these years we had never been close. You know, she's a, a family with three sisters, four sisters total. Three, you know, she has three other three sisters and folks, her folks, and 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 my dad and and stepmom Barbara. I mean, we wanted I wanted to be near them, and and of course Jack State's where we both went to school. So the timing was great. You know, Coach Crow had done a really good job there. So to get to follow him. Uh, it was just the right time, and I was ready to be a head coach again. I think the experience at South, and I, I, it's been so good for me to had to go back from being a head coach and go back to being an assistant, go back and do all the recruiting. So, you know, it was kind of like the best of both worlds where I was part of doing all the facilities and all that at South, yet I had to be an assistant. And, uh, you know, you got to humble yourself back down and, and learn to work in the trenches again, and what does that look like? And so – I think it's helped me with a heart for my assistant coaches on the college level to kind of know what that looks like. Um, but yeah, I was, I was ready to be a head coach again and, and for sure at my alma mater. But you only spent one year there. Was it just the timing was perfect to come to Birmingham? Yeah, it really was. I think, you know, and I was, uh, you know, and I've said this many times, I was very reluctant. Not that I did not think UAB and Birmingham would be everything we wanted it to be. It was just what was the commitment. And uh, because I did, once again, kind of like Prattville, now not to that extent, but I had it going in the right direction. Uh, I loved it there. I was home. I was living in Piedmont in the same hometown as my dad. Uh, my son was going to school there. Uh, we had everybody coming back, and we knew they were going to be back for two or three years. So, uh, I, you know, of course, I had a dream to be an FBS coach. I got to be in the state, I, you know, state retirement. So there's a lot of a lot of other factors that led to being here. But the big question I, I had was, you know, would we commit? Because we knew what Birmingham is. I knew what it could be. I'd had players here. Obviously, knew Watson Brown very well, and um, with Zach Woodfin and other of my players having played at UAB, I felt like I knew you know, the lay of the land and, of course, being a, a near a Birmingham guy and an Alabama guy, I felt like I knew these things. I guess my only question was commitment. What was the courtship like between you and UAB when you were going through that entire process? Well, you know, when – and Brian Mackin and I have had this conversation so many times where, you know, we talk about the could have been, you know, prior to uh, Coach McGee taking the job. I mean, I really wanted this job. And – really did not even get an interview. And so I'm literally sitting in a, a high school when the news breaks that Coach McGee's leaving and, and it says Coach Bill Clark is the next head coach at UAB. I've not even spoke to anybody. And um, so that comes out on Football Scoop that day. Um, you know, and of course I'm having to tell people, look, I'm not talking to them. I don't know anything about it. Uh, then I go to the coaching convention and, and they put it out again. So I've got trustees at Jack State calling me. I've got the president calling me. And so then I get a call and say, would I come talk to him? And I said, well, you know, sounds like y'all put it out already. And so, you know, the, the guy that did the, the search kept calling me, coach, just give him a chance. Um, so I did. I agreed to go interview and talk to him. And I said, look, I, I, you know, I'm really not interested. I'm happy, uh, but I will talk to you. And um, met with Brian Mack and Isel Reese and um, – uh, our assistant AD Shannon uh, Ely at that time, and it was a you know it was a two or three hour conversation of, you know, okay, this is what I would do if I you know if I was interested, and uh, the job was offered, and Jennifer and I prayed about it, and you know, and I think they convinced me that there was going to be a commitment, and really that was what I was looking for, would would because I knew what it could be here, um, but I think the fact that 
they told me there was going to be a commitment. That was the biggest, the biggest piece. So you, you come to Birmingham in 2014, named the head coach. You play that season. You become bowl eligible the first season you're on campus. And then all of a sudden, the plug is pulled. What were the emotions like? What, what was it like being Coach Clark at that time, knowing that I was just at my alma mater, I had a dream job, and I came here one season later, we're done. Yeah, it was, it was about bad as it could be. I mean, I don't know really any other way to say it. You know, I left my dream job to come here, and then they take it away from us, which is unheard of. And, and we had gotten bowl eligible. And I think to top it off were, was the relationship I have with these players. So, you know, and I'm sitting here in my office really looking out at where the old building was at uh, as we speak. And, you know, that first meeting, I've told, I tell this story so many times, my first meeting at Jack State was so different than my first meeting. And I always talk about a first impression, you know, that you only have one first impression. And, you know, the guys here could not even give me eye contact. Um, they were just so beat down. I think they felt so bad about themselves. Um, you know, and I, I, it's really kind of the same meeting I had at Prattville, where you're like, you know, my first meeting in Prattville in June of 99, there was like 18 kids show up. Um, I mean, it was bad, you know. And so that's how I felt here. But to go from that, to do the training, to do the – to get all these injured guys back, to, to get them – and then to get them bowl eligible and see how our fans were, to see the reaction – uh, I mean, it's devastating. I mean, there's really no other word for it. I mean, I still had a lot of coaching left to do. Uh, I knew I was going to have to go find a job. I'm trying to find coaches' jobs, players' scholarships. Uh, I don't, you know, it probably couldn't get much worse. So with no program and potentially all these different openings for you, why did you stay? You know, I think <clears throat> there was a bunch of factors. You know, I think the first and, and foremost was the people started fighting immediately. And, um, I mean, when we came out of that meeting that day when the program got shut down and there's a parking lot full of people, and, I mean, it was crazy. And, of course, that okay, that was to be expected. People were outraged. But I think to see the the fighting that went on, the, the social media at that time, which was kind of a new thing, and, Pretty quickly on, it was, Coach, will you at least give us a chance? And, you know, and I still had a little bit of time left on my contract. Um, and I said, okay, I'll, I, and I really was not ready to take a – I was offered a defense coordinator job in the SEC. I was offered a head coaching job. But I just really wasn't ready because it was like a death. And, and, I, and I thought, am I making a mistake turning this down right now? But I wanted to give every opportunity for our program to come back, even though I'll be honest, I said – you know, slim and none, really. You know, you don't shut a program down and then bring it back. But, you know, it was really miraculous to see what started happening. And it was probably this this symbiotic relationship of we'll fight if you'll stay and I'll stay if you fight. And uh, so we were part of that. And, you know, maybe I helped a few things at some meetings where I told them, you know, what they needed to do and to keep fighting. And so it just kind of all went together. Two years of practice hitting each other, just hitting the green and gold. You're not playing anybody else. How difficult of a two years was that, knowing that you have to build that program back up, you have to recruit players to not play, and then ultimately, you know, get the team together? It was tough. I mean, it was probably not as bad in some ways as people think, but it was still hard. Um, I just, you know, I tried to plan it around, okay, what would I want to be, how would I want to be treated as a player 
And so, you know, it was, hey, we're bringing you in here to rehab. And at the same time, we had to have facilities that were being built. So, I, you know, as I always laugh, that'll be in our movie someday when we tell this story. But, you know, it was convincing people to give money. And, of course, we had so many people that were part of that, you know, my foundation guys, that we create our own foundation. So we create this foundation to go raise money. So I'm telling recruits, we're building this stuff. We're raising money to build it. You know, it's all the chicken or egg. You know, can we get players without facilities or do we have to have facilities to get players? And it was all kind of happening at once. And then it was, all right, we're going to practice for two years without games, basically. And really, you know, it was really a year and a half uh, because really we only had that first fall. <laughs> we had 30-something guys working out. I mean, you're talking about depressing. But we became really good recruiters, and we literally went all over the country find these players. And as you know, the 17 and 18 group and even some of the 19 guys literally from – every corner of our country. And um, so we had to get good at practicing. And so I had some officials that came in uh, in that spring. Of course, first spring, we only had about 60. So I had to learn to slow down a little bit. But that summer, they would come watch the scrimmage. And they're like, Coach, these guys think they're playing. I said, well, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. And, uh, and of course, all that led to us doing what we did in 17. Did you take the experience from South where you were starting a program and kind of use some of the things that you learned there at UAB? Oh, 100%. I think, and I always talk to guys about experience. Um, and, you know, I was kind of lucky that I, as a young coach, I had all these experiences of my dad that, you know, I would want to hear how he met with players and how he did this. And, you know, that's what I love. So probably when I was 22, 23, 24 in these positions of leadership, I was probably a little bit ahead. Well, it's the same story for here that I was so blessed to have gone through what I did at South, you know, from you know, and I and I always tell the story of when we started our Nike deal at Prattville. There was nothing like that with as far as a whole athletic department. And you know, I'm talking to them. You know, you know, they had just gotten into baseball. We'll give it to us. We'll wear everything you got. They just started using footballs. Give them to us. We'll use them. Soccer. Tra- I mean, everything. And so when we went to South, uh, Nike called me and said, "Hey, does South want to be Nike?" And I said, "Well, let me call the AD." And so they were had been trying to be Nike. You know, and so just things like that, those experiences between Prabble and South that I was able to bring here, whether it was starting our foundation, which was just a big booster club to, um, to, to, to facilities, to uniforms, to, you know, you name it. I had kind of had to go through those things, whether Prabble South or other places that, that I used here. You've often said going into the 2017 <clears throat> season that you're there to win. This team is going to win. Did you really believe that? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we got to speak it into reality. And, uh, you know, and I, literally we were picked 130 out of 130 teams. I saw one of my players wearing that shirt yesterday, in fact, you know, and, uh, you know, we put it on the back. They don't know. Uh, so that was kind of our mantra, you know, that we're going to, we're going to, nobody's going to know, nobody's going to expect us to be any good. Um, but, you know, I told him, I said, you know, even though that's the case, nobody wants to lose to us either. You know, they're, they're counting us as a win, and they don't want to lose to the team that's starting their program back from scratch. So it wasn't like anything was given to us, but I did feel good about the players we had brought in, and I did think we had a chance. Do you think your teams have played with more heart over the last few seasons than any other team that you coached? That's a good question. You know, I thought my guys at Prattville played um, – really 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 hard and really believed uh, I think my defenses at South probably same but yeah I would think 
it, they're right up there. You know, the, what these guys have done here is just – and that was what was so neat about that first team in 14. And I'm telling you, after the Southern Miss game, and we had most of those guys back the next year, that was as close a group of kids as you could have. Then all of a sudden here you go in 17. And, you know, I think the hardest thing about 17 was we had brought in all these junior college players who, you know, just the nature of being a junior college player is you've got to go get yours, so to speak, which is I got to get out. I got to go find somewhere else. And then the fact that literally just, you know, a kid from California is different from a kid from Florida who's different from a kid from Arizona who's New York. So bringing all those personalities together. But I think those guys knowing who they were playing for, and we make no bones about it. We're playing for our community and our people that fought for us. And that's what I don't want to lose moving forward. So, yeah, they were right up there with anybody I've ever had, no doubt. Now, moving forward, in 2021, supposed to move into a new stadium. Where is this program going? You know, our goal is, once again, I've said this the whole time, to be a top 25 program. That sounds, you know, like, oh, of course. I mean, that's tons and tons of work and recruiting and, um, and, and putting money into your program. And, I mean, that's something that takes all of us. You know, and I think that's the thing I talk all the time about. Everything really has got to – you've got to say winning in it. You know, uh, I mean, all I talk about right now is player safety, academics. But everything that should be touching our program should be lending, win, lending us to win. And so that commitment, and I think when you start talking about committing to be a top 25 program, really what does that look like? You know, I heard a coach say the other day, you know, when he said, hey, everything at my place is geared toward helping me to do that. And I, I think that's our challenge here is what are the things that we have to do um, to get us to that spot and, and I think if you look at people that are kind of in our world in our conference and what what does that look like to be able to do that uh, and it doesn't just happen you know so I think that's the challenge for me that's the challenge for our administration that's the challenge for our fans that's a challenge for our foundation what do we all have to do if this is what we really want because I know we want it you know I know I want it you know but is this really what we want if it is that's going to take a commitment how does the approach to your players change in the light of the pandemic this year and social issues? I, I'll be honest, it's it's one of the hardest things I've ever been part of because they are getting bombarded. Um, you know, there's so many people with opinions. You know, I, early on, I said, really, I don't really need any opinions on COVID other than what UAB and my family tells me because we're the best. You know, we're we're right up there. So when I somebody would put something on the news or whatever, we were getting factual information. And I think that's why we've done so well. But it's, you know, the NCAA gave players a chance to opt out this year. And and we've had the ability to opt out for health reasons all along. You know, if a guy's got a legitimate health problem, um, he should opt out, whether it's a concussion or, you know, I mean, here's a guy, you know, I could speak to that because I had the back. You know, I ended up having back surgery. And, I mean, basically that's what I did. You know, you know of course, nobody kept paying my scholarship in those days. But I think that when they did that made it really hard on some players to make the right decisions, you know, and of course, medically or safety wise, of course, we want you to do it. But I think that has created some, some really things that, you know, which we try and teach all the time is to fight through to when you're going to have adversity, what do you do? Cause you're going to have it in life. And so you've got COVID, you've got uh, the opting out, you've got the social issues that we've dealt with. Um, and, you know, one of the things when all that was going on, our players were like, Coach, we just want to get back into our building. We want to be together. We're a family. Um, you know, not that we didn't need to address these things, but I think 
we have been pretty blessed in how we do things here. But the thing that I think I cannot control is this information that they're constantly got bombarded with, which I would say is negative. And, you know, the one thing you can, you can rest assured with uh, negativity breeds negativity. And um, so I've just, it's been tough to deal with that, even though I think we've handled it well, but I, it is a daily struggle. How has the game changed over the 30 years you've been coaching it? I think there's so much information out there, you know, just kind of like what we were just saying. There's so, I mean, you can go literally Google anything you want to know as a football coach. I mean, there's video, there's game film, there's, I mean, a layman can sit there. I love to hear these guys that just sit there and watch these NFL networks and they have all the answers, you know, but from an X and O standpoint, it's so easy, easy to get. I remember, going with my dad to a coaching clinic in the 70s, you know, multiple times. And literally they would get up and talk about a kickoff coverage group and tell jokes. And I mean, it was terrible. And that started changing in the, in the mid to late 80s where you started actually getting some real information at these coaching clinics. Um, now people would go to places. I mean, my dad drove out to Texas in 69 and 68 and got the wishbone. You know, we drove to Delaware in 78. And, you know, so you could go find it, but it was hard. Now it's so accessible. So I think how we try, you know, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they're well-fed. They're all those things better than we were. It's, it's, it's those other things that they get bombarded with now that's the difference as well. But I think just you see them. The athletes are better. They're better conditioned. It's safer. It's the safest our game's ever been. And the technology has changed, changed to make us, you know, just everybody knows more. You were able to play for your father. What was it like coaching your son? It was great, you know, and, and tough for him at the same time. I mean, I think, you know, it was interesting to watch him. And I think the dynamic that was so good for, for us was um, I knew what was going on in the locker room. And, you know, of course, Jake wouldn't go tell me anything about somebody to get them in trouble. Uh, it was about, hey, this is the mood. This is something that, that the players are talking about they want to do. You know, that's I've always tried to have that through my coaches, through our relationship. But to actually have your son who – Loved his teammates first and second loved UAB. I mean, you know, you're talking about a UAB man through and through. And, you know, that was a great relationship and a great time for, for both of us. Uh, you know, hopefully it was a good time for him because he had to deal with me. But, but it was great. And that's Coach Bill Clark. In 2014, Clark was hired to coach the Blazer football team. Under his guidance, the team has played in three straight bowl games, claimed two divisional titles, and won a Conference USA championship. 2017 and 2018 saw Clark win numerous Coach of the Year awards. As a man that coaches scores of kids each year, he definitely knows what it means to be a Blazer. You know, I think it's it's really just a cool thing to, to know um, what we do for, for the city of Birmingham, what we're doing, you know, really around the country worldwide, just from the medical standpoint, uh, et cetera. But I think now it really means more. I mean, when I first got here, I didn't see a lot of UAB gear on. And now to see, you know, just to see our stuff on campus, to see people have pride in that. And, and I know we've done great things before, obviously our basketball program, and we had some good football teams as well and other sports and, and other things. But I think it really means even more now than it probably ever has. And just what our campus, how, how it's changed. And it's really become a true university. And we've just, and I'm going to leave it with this, we've just got so many great people um, that's part of our campus that are, you know, UAB alumni that, um, 
it's really just, I think it's a, it's a great time to be a Blazer. It really is. We've got plenty of podcasts for you to listen in on. Find UAB Green and Told on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. While there, leave a review. We would love to know how we're doing. You can also check us out at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. If you know somebody who has a great story to share, let me know. Email greenandtold at uab.edu. And stay on top of all things alumni on social media. We can be found at UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!